This episode of the Baby Tribe podcast is proudly sponsored by HappyTummy.ie, the exclusive distributor of BioGaia probiotics for babies. That's right. And as parents ourselves, we know how crucial it is to prioritize our children's health. BioGaia probiotics have been clinically proven to support digestive health and reduce the duration of crying in babies experiencing colic. Absolutely. And HappyTummy.ie makes it incredibly convenient for parents to access these products. Amazing. So for all your probiotic needs, head on over to happytummy.ie. And Baby Tribe listeners can enjoy a 10% discount on all products at happytummy.ie with the code BABYTRIBE10. Okay, let's get on with the episode. Welcome to the Baby Tribe podcast, where we will explore the beautiful chaos of parenthood and discover the joys and challenges of nurturing our little ones. We are your hosts, Katie Mugan and Afif El-Kafash. Each week, we'll bring you the latest information on all things to do with parenting and delve into insightful conversations with experienced parents to bring you practical tips, heartwarming stories, and a dose of laughter that every parent can relate to. So grab your coffee, find a cozy spot, and join us as we embark on this unforgettable journey of parenthood together. Welcome to the Baby Tribe. What cozy spot is a parent going to find? Just put on your ear pods and out you go for that walk and you'll get to tune in and listen to myself and Afif talking everything small babies related. Let's get to it. So before we start today's episode of the Baby Tribe podcast, we actually have some news, Katie, don't we? We are so excited. Oh, I, Afif, Afif, Afif rang me, when was it, last week? Thursday. Thursday. Extremely excited. I get a text saying, call me. And I was like, Jesus, something massive has happened. And Afif told me that we have been nominated in the Irish Podcast Awards. We are nominated under the Best Newcomer Award. So absolutely amazing. We're up there with you know, the podcast greats of Ireland. So we are so delighted. So thank you everybody for your listenership. This is such a brilliant honor. It's our first year and we got into the Irish Podcast Awards. So we are so, so, so excited. And more importantly, I read in the um, on the website that there's going to be a red carpet walk. So um, what are you going to wear? We're going to have to, we're going to have to coordinate. Don't even start. I'll I'll wear my scrubs. (laughs) Actually, we should just wear our scrubs. Could you imagine if we just turned up in the scrubs? Yeah, it'd be the easiest thing. So thank you so much. So we have another small favour to ask for of our listeners. And I know we keep asking them for favours, but this is the last one, I promise. There is a Listener's Choice Award as well that's going to be announced on the night. And that is based on your votes, you, the listener. So please go on to the Irish Podcast Awards website and vote for Baby Tribe as your listener's choice. And we would be eternally grateful. We are so grateful to everyone that listens in, tunes in all the time, subscribes to the podcast every week and, you know, continues to listen to Afif's nerdy segment. I mean, I am so grateful that you're still with us. Me or or the, um, or the, or the listeners? No, I meant the listeners. Oh, the listeners, yeah, of course. <laughs> At both. least they're staying tuned in. I mean, I have improved Afif now, in fairness. I mean, I do give you a lot more time and attention. You do and you listen and you don't scroll on your phone anymore. So it's fantastic. I don't. So it's a win-win. I don't. Anyway, thank you so much again. And let's get on with the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Baby Tribe podcast. Katie, how are you doing? I'm good. I was just giving out that I'm tired because it's back to school season. It is back to school season. Kids are back in school. The traffic has been nightmare. Oh, my God. It's been a nightmare going to work, 
getting back from work, getting to the studio has been, um, yeah, a struggle. You kind of miss, you kind of miss the summers, but it's like a double-edged sword because now you don't have to deal with them during the day. That is true. And you know what I love? It's so funny. I love the winter because you've got that cozy nights, you know, the dark nights, you can pull down the blinds and then you can pretend it's it's bedtime sooner um, as opposed to the summertime where it's bright no matter what you put in those windows um, the sun shines through. And to my four year old, he thinks it's awake time. And by the way, my kids are now in uniform for the first time in their school life. My daughter is 15. My son is 12. They have never been in a school uniform until the start of the school season, believe it or not. They That's were, amazing. Yeah, they were in an Educate Together school oh, wow. where there's no uniform. And you know, the, the trouble is that the teachers in Educate Together go by their first name. So my kids are walking around in Educate Together going, hi, Emma. Hi, John. Hi, Sinead. And now they have to readjust because they're in a very Mr. and Mrs. school, Mr. Oh, wow. and Miss school. So we had to kind of realign um you know, their nomenclature for the teachers. Because, you know, first day in Faisal was like, hi, Sinead, hi, Jack, hi, this, hi, that. And they were like, it's Mr. Dunphy and it's <laughs> Mrs. <laughs> you know. Well, ours are in the Grail School, so they actually say Munter Sinead or Munter Bertie, oh, wow, whatever okay. it is. But yeah. ours have been in uniforms. Don't even get me started on uniforms. I I love the idea of for primary school for a tracksuit, but paying for a tracksuit and a school uniform drives me crazy. It'll cost you a fortune. Like a fortune the and amount, then multiply it yeah. by four. I know the amount of money that, oh, you have four. You see, we Daisy. stopped at two. <laughs> my, my, my first yeah. keeps going, you should have stopped at the first, mom. You, you hit perfection. I'm like, okay, look, we've heard it all. Well, you know, he's, he's going to go, he's going to go We far. could have a lot. He keeps going, why can't we go on the like all-inclusive holidays? I said, because there's six of us. Okay. Yeah. You see, once you stop at two, <laughs> it means that you can stay in the same hotel room. <laughs> yes. And the car. You yeah. can have a much nicer car. So you literally double your holiday costs the minute you go beyond your second child. So this is a tip, a top <laughs> tip to our to our um, listeners, you know. No, I say go for it. Have as many babies as you can. OK, well, do, 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 what, do whatever makes you happy. Before we start talking about our topic today, I just want to remind our listeners to please subscribe to our podcast and give us a rating and a review if you can, because it really helps us reach more people that may also find this podcast helpful. Yes, um, I've had loads of people, I don't know about you, Fief, um, actually, when I go to their house, I had two clients the other day that both said, oh, we follow you on the Baby Tribe podcast. And that's where I heard of you. I was like, woohoo. So just show we are reaching people. Yeah, no, we are reaching people. So and you spread know, the word. And you know what? It's making my clinics a lot easier because, you know, all the kind of pre-consultation steps that we advise the parents to do. The parents have come to me now, have already done them. They're like, you don't even have to worry about us doing it. We're ready for proper treatment now. <laughs> we've tried We've tried everything you've told us to try on the podcast. Like, oh, great. Okay. And you have to cure them all now. Exactly. Exactly. So we have a fantastic guest for you today as usual. But before we um, start with our guest, we are going to briefly talk about a topic that I absolutely love and I've mentioned a few times in season one. Can you guess what it is, Katie? Oh, I wonder, Fief, could it be all to do with probiotics? Well, yes. <laughs> I'm going to talk about the microbiome today. The more and more we study about the microbiome, the more and more it's becoming increasingly obvious that it pretty much has a huge impact on our health, pretty much from the day we are born until our sort of latter years in life. And it's very interesting because what is the microbiome? Well, the microbiome is the group of organisms um, that are also called microbiota or microbes. And they are trillions and trillions of different species, bacteria, fungi, viruses, parasites that reside in our body. 
And the biggest place where they reside is where? Ooh, could it be the gut? Yes. So the, the, the majority of those bugs actually live in our gut. And there are so many of them that they've been almost now labeled as a kind of separate organ. And just to give you the, the, the scale of, I suppose, their significance and their impact and the data that they house, there's a lot of genetic material present in those kind of bugs collectively. And the microbiome as a whole has about 3.3 million unique protein encoding genes. And when you compare it to DNA that we have, we, our entire human genome has around 23,000 genes. So you're looking at multiples of DNA material of what we actually possess. And the, di the other difference is because these bugs change all the time, that genetic material is dynamic. It's sort of changes all the time That's as well. That's actually really cool. Yeah, isn't it? Finally, finally, guys, Katie is actually <laughs> listening and looking at me intently and not kind of, you know, drifting off, dreaming about her next holiday. These microorganisms or microbiome as a whole have a big impact on our gut health. And when are we first exposed to these microorganisms? Well, obviously we're exposed to them the minute we are born because during pregnancy, the gut is actually sterile. And it only begins to get colonized with microorganisms that end up forming our microbiome is immediately following delivery as the baby goes through the birth canal or contrary to popular belief during the process of cesarean section, babies begin to get colonized by their mum's good bacteria almost immediately after birth. And I suppose one myth I want to debunk early in our chat about it is the fact that there's a lot of chat about, you know, if you're not delivered vaginally, if you don't go through the birth canal, then you're not colonized with good bacteria as much as you would than if you actually do go through the birth canal. And we spoke about this briefly in our um, previous season in that there's some research now showing that if you are delivered via cesarean section, then yes, initially for the first maybe couple of days, the makeup of organisms in your gut are different, but that is made up very quickly by everything else that the mother does in her interaction with her baby. So whether um, one begins to breastfeed, the skin to skin contact, the bugs that reside on the mother's mouth, nose, these are all transferred into the baby as well. So by the end of the first week and even the second week, the studies have shown that the difference in the, in the organisms aren't as determined by the mode of delivery as we previously thought. There are so many other factors that determine the microbiome. That'll be such a relief to so many parents because it is a big concern for a lot of them that they're kind of informed, well, you had a cesarean section, so it will impact. So that's huge. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, there's a lot of studies showing that breastfeeding is actually one of the biggest things that impact the shape of the gut microbiome over the first few months rather than the mode of delivery. I don't want to alarm mums that have either chosen to use formula or couldn't breastfeed and have mixed formula. There are other ways of colonizing your baby with good healthy bacteria by your daily interaction with them. Why are we sort of harping on about this? The reason we're harping on about this is because there's a lot of now studies that have shown that really the microbiome has a huge impact on our health, both in the early period and also later on in life. It's been implicated in protecting against pathogens that may go through our digestive system. So they help us fight infections that we may potentially be exposed uh, to. It actually helps us to synthesize certain vitamins like vitamin K and vitamin B12. So without those healthy organisms, we can't actually make up those um, uh, very important vitamins. They actually help shape and develop our immune system. And that has a big impact 
in modulating the immune system to help us deal with allergies. We know that the rate of allergies are increasing a huge amount mm-hmm. in our, in our um, society. And we know that the microbiome is implicated in that. We know that the microbiome can help us um, help regulate our immune system so that we do not become overexposed to allergy. They also help us with producing healthy fats in our body that help us with our diet. They help us produce more fiber um, so that to help keep us regular and keep um, our digestive system health- healthy. The other thing that I think a lot of people sometimes may overlook, it has a huge impact on our mental health. And people don't, I think, realize that, that there is something called the gut-brain axis, whereby the gut and the brain actually connect and talk to each other through a lot of mechanisms, through nerves, through hormones, through chemicals, and actually through those bacteria that send signals to the brain. So our gut health has a huge impact on our mental health. Wow, Afif, that's really interesting. Um, And we know from the research, I know you've spoken about this before, how the gut bacteria uh, can impact obviously newborns and any imbalance can, you know, can be attributed even towards colic and reflux. Yeah, and there are some studies showing that babies that suffer from reflux or colic have a different makeup of bacteria in their tummy when you compare them to babies that don't have those symptoms. So that makes us think about or conclude that yes, disturbances or imbalances in the gut microbiome can can sometimes contribute to the development of colic or even reflux in these babies. You know, it's because it's such a dynamic thing, it's influenced by a lot of things that we may do early on in life. So we know that the type of birth, as we spoke about, can affect it. Preterm birth can affect it. The diet of the mum can affect it. Um, you know, other conditions that the mum may be suffering from can affect it as well. We spoke about the presence of pets in the house, how that can actually impact reducing allergies down the line. And I think one of the mechanisms is by modifying the microbiome in these babies and making them more diverse, having siblings that may have gone to crash and bring in other interesting things back to the house. And one of the important things is early antibiotic exposure in babies can significantly lead to an imbalance in the microbiome. And I don't want to scare people off to say that they shouldn't, babies shouldn't take antibiotics. There are always important reasons for babies to receive antibiotics. But I suppose knowing that it may cause or lead to an imbalance in the gut microbiome helps us deal with it. For example, we've spoken about a study before showing that early exposure to antibiotics is associated with an increased risk of developing asthma down the line that has been shown. However, there's recent studies showing that if you happen to be breastfeeding while receiving those antibiotics, that that risk is not there. And we think it's because breast milk helps maintain good microbiome balance and good microbiome makeup. If you are not breastfeeding, we are now using that information to sometimes recommend giving babies probiotics Mm -hmm. while they're receiving antibiotic treatment for whatever reason to help restore and seed the gut with good bacteria again to try and reduce the risk of that allergy. And, you know, there are studies, some of them aren't very clear in their conclusions, but there are studies suggesting that early probiotic exposure while the baby or while the child is on antibiotics can actually help restore the makeup of the microbiome quicker than if you did not receive probiotics while you're getting antibiotics. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's pretty interesting. A lot of, a lot of. And would are consultants or doctors prescribing them more now? I think in the. Within the the clinical setting. You know, speaking in the neonatal field, we actually do use 
probiotics for certain conditions. For example, in my sort of bread and butter, which I actually don't talk about that much on my podcast, and we should probably speak about it in a future episode, is I deal with a lot of premature babies. And the most extreme premature babies are at risk of developing this significant gut infection called necrotizing enterocolitis, which actually carries a high risk of death if the babies um, do experience it. There are several well-conducted studies now demonstrating that if you give those preterm babies probiotics early on, that you can significantly reduce the risk of necrotizing enterocolitis in them. So we fortify um, all our babies as they're growing when they are premature in our unit with probiotics. And that practice is now becoming a lot more common. There are also more recent data showing that in babies suffering with colic and even reflux, supplementing them with a probiotic called Lactobacillus ruteri can actually help reduce the duration of crying in these babies and improve the reflux symptoms in these babies. Again, showing that there may be a link between microbiome imbalance and these symptoms. And there's several studies now that have shown significant improvements in these babies if they actually receive probiotics. And the one that has been shown to be most helpful are probiotics containing the bug Lactobacillus ruteri. In my experience anyway, I think giving a baby probiotic is much better than giving baby other treatments such as, um, you know, anti-colic drops and anti-colic medications and, you know, gripe water, which I never recommend to my patients. I think Um, you know, the evidence now would suggest that a probiotic would be helpful. I think there's an awful lot more babies, even within my practice, we would see actually parents are well informed um, and more educated with regards to probiotics. And it would definitely be one of the first ports of call when it comes to unsettled, irritable babies, definitely digestively to consider a probiotic. Yeah. And, and, you know, the use of probiotics have been linked with other health benefits, including helping babies recover from gastroenteritis. We know that gastroenteritis, if they get a gut infection, that really knocks the balance of your microbiome. They can have a lot of tummy issues going forward, you know. Tummy and this cramps. is what we were really just talking about this at the very this morning, because uh, we've had a tummy bug in our house that, uh, well, everyone kind of got on holidays, but it's kind of continued with one of the kids. And uh, I was actually only saying to Fief that I must get a probiotic for uh, for Lily just to settle her tummy right back down. Yeah. And I know from personal experience, I've, I've traveled recently and I've come back and I've been feeling really kind of off um, in terms of bloating and things like that. And yeah, she, Katie's moving. I'm moving away. Katie's moving away <laughs> um, as I'm saying this, but I have to say going on a probiotic for a week has really helped yeah. um, with those symptoms as well. There's also, we've spoken about constipation before. Again, there's a role for probiotics in helping improve constipation symptoms in babies. So a lot of information out there. Finally, before we move on to our guest, just there are several probiotics out there on the market. I sort of see, I don't know, and tell me if I'm being a little bit looking into this too much. I think there may be a cynical move from some formula companies promoting probiotics in sachet form rather than in drop form. Because I look at sachets and really the only way of administering a sachet is by mixing it with breast milk or formula milk and putting it in a bottle. So it almost forces parents that maybe don't want to give a bottle to their baby or their baby hasn't yet taken a bottle to actually use a bottle to help treat them. Where there are other brands that are drops, so you could literally put the drop on the teat, put the drop on the nipple directly into the baby's mouth without needing to resort to using bottles. What do you think? 
I think we've spoken a lot about formula companies and how underhand their advertising practices um, and marketing of of certain products are. I think it is probably just another way that they can entice uh, bottle involvement. And when we speak about formula companies, we're not targeting parents who are formula feeding um, and every parent has the right to education. What we are talking about is actually the underhand practices by these big multi-global uh, companies in order to sway people to use their products. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I think, I think that is there. It's, it's sort of underhand and it's not very obvious, but yeah. I mean, there's no reason why they can't make it into liquid form yeah. like other brands. Anyway, I think we will move on to our guest. So who do we have on today, Katie? I am so excited about this guest, Joanne Larby. Um, I have followed for quite a while now and we've, we've kind of interacted quite a bit. I even cheated on you a thief and was on her podcast. So I'm really excited about this. One of the main reasons why we invited Joanne to come on is to, I wanted to see who you were cheating on me with. Uh, no, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. We've actually really wanted Joanne to come on our um our show. So, I mean, Joanne is well known to a lot of you. She's one of Ireland's well-known influencers. Um, she's a best-selling author. She's a content creator. She's a podcast host. She's a makeup artist. She's a plus-size model and also has dabbled, if that's not enough, in presenting, public speaking and styling. She's also a qualified Montessori teacher. I don't know if a lot of people know that. And she's currently back in college on her degree pathway to becoming an interior designer. Wow. Yep. Joanne cultivates a transformative digital landscape across three media channels where individuals are encouraged to embrace their authentic selves and embark on a journey of self-discovery, positivity, and inspiration. So we are really excited to welcome Joanne onto this podcast. Okay, so Joanne Larby, thank you so much for coming onto the Baby Tribe podcast. We're really delighted to have you on, and I'm sure we're going to have an excellent chat that will resonate with um, a lot of our listeners. So could you, at the start, just tell us a little bit about yourself? Of course. Firstly, thank you very much for both of you having me on. Your two accounts that I thoroughly enjoy uh, consuming on a daily basis. I've known Katie for some time in the online space. We've had our own chats and I obviously discovered yourself through the, the more recent launch of the Baby Tribe. So fantastic content and delighted to be on the show. No, thank you. Um, in terms of background, I'll try and surmise this as quick as possible because <laughs> we, can, we can end up kind of rabbiting on to things that aren't as important. But my background is quite varied. So when I would have left school, I would have been extremely interested in art. And my decision was to either go into makeup artistry or fashion design at the time. I did a little bit of a portfolio course that then allowed me make the decision whether I would do the long study of fashion design or the slightly quicker route of makeup artistry and then bring some fashion in along the way. So I did makeup artistry in senior college Dunleary. That was theatrical and media makeup artistry, which I really had a keen interest in. We did prosthetics, wig making, severed fingers, cuts. It was more the 3D side of makeup as opposed to the superficiality of the world we know, which is just putting a face on, I suppose, on counters and things like that. Uh, counters being, you know, retail side of makeup artistry. So at that point, I worked initially in retail. I worked in Brent Thomas and I worked in Cleary's for a few different brands. And I got as much on-counter experience as I could within the retail space and also the quick and fast-paced beauty fashion side of makeup. But I really missed that theatrical application. So I did a lot of work with RTE. I did some print media. I would have done some shoot locations for TV3 and got a lot of commercial experience within the makeup artistry field. 
At that point, I felt I couldn't really go any further by a manager position within retail, which didn't interest me. So I went back and I studied Montessori um, in Portobello. And Montessori teaching was another avenue that I'd always been interested in, makeup and Montessori being very different, but that was the, the duality of what is my personality. I love children. I've always had an interest in the teaching side of things, perhaps not the primary, but Montessori specifically. So after studying in Portobello, I continued to teach. I was actually very lucky. I got a placement in Clontarf in a beautiful Montessori school, quite a small school that only took really between six children at a time in the morning session until the ECI scheme changed things. And we introduced an afternoon session of about 15 kids. Um, And I continued to work there for a few years whilst running the makeup artistry subsidiary to that. So while I was teaching, I kept up doing weddings on the weekends, some workshops and different things like that, and ended up getting signed with an agency who booked me from everything from hair and makeup to plus size modeling. And at the time I was doing Ireland AN slots in the morning and then coming back into school to Montessori, putting on my uh, less glamorous clothes, my hair in a hun bun and getting super glue and glitter on me. And so I was really living that double life. And I, I ran that along as long as I could. So I started a blog to maintain the momentum, I suppose, of makeup and fashion whilst teaching. So I didn't lose that side. And social media was really at its peak. Instagram wasn't as big as it is now, but Facebook was very prevalent. So I started a Facebook page, grew a social media following, and the blog really took off. So at the point where I was nearly busier doing the beauty fashion side of things, Montessori uh, was was difficult to keep up because at the time I was doing a morning session. So Montessori would be, say, nine to half, twelve. And then I nannied for two families, one with three children and one with two in the afternoons, did their dinners and, and you know, their, their kind of evening routine, and then did my blog in the nighttime and then the makeup weddings and stuff on the weekend. So it all got a bit busy. And I, I took that as a sign for the universe to say, you need to make a decision here. And I knew I would always have Montessori in my back back pocket, I suppose, to go back to it and return at some point or some some area of childcare or something like that, but to really give this a go full time. Glad I did. Uh, it took off and I started being introduced to lots of different brands in the advertising space and beauty and fashion then extended to lifestyle, which was everything from promoting the Royal Caribbean cruises and traveling all across the world with the lifestyle side of advertising to hotels, food, um, and, and everything that you see, quote, hate the term, but influencers or content creators do um, at the moment. So it really opened up a sphere that was very new to the advertising world where print media was going a little bit into the background and the online space was more popular. Um, and from then, I brought out a book on entrepreneurship and utilizing social media, but it also included everything from breakups and relationships to mental health and body image. And then I did some collaborations with different brands and launched my own brand of makeup products, which went into pharmacies nationwide. And after that, I've continued to create content for brands on my own space and exterior to that. I launched a podcast called The Other Side of Perfect, which covers absolutely everything that my book did, but in extension of motherhood, body image, mental health, entrepreneurship, um, and lots of different topics. And I'm also studying interior design now in IDAI and a full-time stay-at-home mom. <laughs> well, Joanne, that 
I mean, you've, you've just described the work of about five or six different people. You've achieved so much in a relatively short period of time. And, and you've actually, I mean, I've been following you for a while and following your career. You've excelled in all of them, you know, so it's um, a pretty amazing and impressive achievement. And it's not something to be understated. And going to hand you over to Katie to just chat briefly about, you know, obviously the arrival of River and how that sort of changed the um, scene for you. Yes. So I know you've spoken about your background in Montessori. Um, So if you kind of think back to when, just before River arrived, did you feel kind of prepared in advance of River's arrival? I think you can prepare yourself by reading the literature and doing the classes. And and Katie, I did your breastfeeding class and found it amazing in the newborn class where you feel like you are a flailing swan, you know, with the manic legs below water, waiting on your baby's arrival, not having a clue how to really do anything. And it's overwhelming and exciting in the same breath. But I think you can prepare yourself to a certain extent and you can have knowledge and information in areas like birth and feeding techniques and desires but be open to the universe taking that all out of your hands and having no control of anything thereafter. So there's almost an acceptance that needs to happen while you're still pregnant to know that, yes, I can prepare, but nothing can actually prepare you for what the arrival of a baby will do to you, your body and your life. And what do you think surprised you the most once he was born? Like, what do you think, what aspect did you find either difficult or easy or just surprised in Um, I think that the love surprises you and it's so cliche to say that you cannot describe the feeling that you have not only holding that baby for the first time, but the growth that happens with your love and how everything else pales in comparison. And you start to look at things that used to stress you out and moments in life that would have taken up your time and your headspace that are just annihilated by that human being that is yours that you've created in your body and then you take care of afters there's something so magical where women don't give each other enough credit for the fact that we have collated cells to actually put forward a new human being onto this earth and to birth to feed in whatever way you choose to do so whatever way your birth goes is an achievement that far surpasses any career milestone you could ever compare it to. So I think just the acknowledgement and compassion that you end up having for self where the love is so indescribable that other things just fall back a little bit. And I think that there was an acceptance around that where I was surprised at how I could happily let that career woman and that boss um, lifestyle slip into the background because it just didn't matter as much anymore. And I was quite content and happy just being a mum. God, that's lovely. Tell me this. Did you feel support in those early days? Like, did you feel within the hospital or even when you got home to the community setting, had you got a great support network? Did you feel like the healthcare professionals were there to support you or what did you find? What kind of benefited you the most in that way? I have to say, Online is a community that is not um, commended enough for building that network for you when you come home. And the reason why I say that is women come home uh, rarely unscathed from birth. Let's be honest, there's going to be something that doesn't go perfectly. You know, it isn't this textbook experience for the majority of women. And that extends to feeding and difficulties with whether it's reflux, colic, all of the things that we talk about and that you talk about so well on your podcast and on your channels. 
you are sitting it alone in a lot of moments as a mother, whether those are 2 a.m. feeds, where there is no support network bar, perhaps, uh, you know, a partner that can get up with you. And you may have your phone in your hand. And that community is there to give information and to be a resource where you feel less alone and you can be more connected. Obviously, family are integral. Now, we have a unique scenario in that we are five hours from both of our families. So they would have had to stay after... Um, so I went in for a regular checkup at 40 plus four, super healthy, normal pregnancy, everything perfect, but ended up being kept in for an emergency induction. And in that scenario, we didn't come home for four or five days and you don't account for say surgery and how you're going to need some help after that. So getting upstairs and I didn't realize that when you have a C-section, it's very hard to lift your baby out of the cot in the hospital, let alone at home. You know, you're in such a compromised position and in so much pain that the simplistic feeding methods and uh, sorry, I say simplistic, the ones you've learned by textbook and the ones that you look at beautifully don't quite work. I remember the PHN coming to our house and saying, you really need to do the sideline position. It's super because you don't have to move too much. But unfortunately, River was an incredibly long baby and he was nine pounds eight. And so he ended up kicking my C-section scar when I would side lie with him. So it's about kind of maneuvering so many different um, ideals that you might have had and prepared for and bringing the community in as and when you need it. So if your PHN isn't, um, you know, helping you or working for you, or it's not a positive experience to have someone, whether it's your family or friends to reach out and try and get someone else, whether it's a lactation consultant to actively ensure that you are getting the support that you need. Um, I know my GP was fantastic because he didn't want me traveling all the way back to the hospital. It's an hour and 40 minutes from us. And he did whatever he could with the after effects that I was left with to try and help me where possible. And I really found the medical center brilliant for seeing a woman that didn't want to get in a car journey for nearly two hours to go back for something that he perhaps could help me with. So it's just about looking at the extended network and not immediately assuming that X is going to help you with Y, but actually looking into creating the support system as and when you need it, if that makes sense. It's actually a very interesting account that you um, make of the supports that you sort of looked at and, and used after delivery. And it just shows the diversity of what people perceive as support. And you brought up the kind of online space and you know yourself, you're, you're, you have a very strong online presence. And sometimes there's a lot of criticism of social media and, you know, online accounts and things like that, that they usually promote stuff that isn't beneficial. But we sometimes, I think, overlook the vast benefit that, you know, social media may have good accounts that you can follow that can give you the help and support if you happen to live in a, in a, in a remote area, as you described, both of you are five hours away from, from your sort of immediate family support and how sometimes the, you know, following the right people and using social media wisely can actually help you in the early kind of, in the early postnatal days. And the other thing you highlight that is very important is that we actually need to reduce our reliance on hospital care in the immediate postnatal period. And that, you know, a lot of things can be done in the community if it's well-planned in advance before, you know, before you have your baby. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to go to the, the, the former suggestion of online, why I say that is I'm not suggesting to reach to online over your immediate in-person community, but when you are online and spending 
time on your phone as a new mother, that in itself can be isolating. So what you mentioned there is making sure you're following the right people, which is key. And I always talk about that even in my own space, which is very different to obviously the medical space, but to curate a positive feed in those times, because you are so unbelievably broken and vulnerable as a new mother that what you are consuming is really seeping in. So it needs to be positive. It needs to be informative. It needs to be factual. If it's in the medical space, you need research papers and you need informed professionals that have qualifications. So I'm not talking about going to Dr. Dr. Google over your doctor, but to have a community, even the likes of Katie and Nursing Mama, for me to be able to look at that um, for breastfeeding techniques, for videos, for for latch, for community discussions that may crop up, you know, something that I've experienced myself and I can go, oh, this has happened to someone else before. Fantastic. Maybe I can look into that a little bit more. Maybe that's what's happening here because, you know, hospitals are massively under pressure, especially post-COVID. There is a fallout there where it's not always the, the go-to in terms of relying on those things, but equally the mother needs and absolutely needs the support and information. And I think even the supportive community at night when most people are at the most vulnerable and they're looking at their phones, um, having just been able to reach out and actually talking to somebody. So you'll find an awful lot of mothers yeah. will link in with other mothers at night because they don't have that um, I suppose, support available to them other than the partner who's generally, you know, either asleep, not meaning that, but um, it can yeah, be a tough da- one. The dads always get it in, in this podcast, you know. I know. But like in <laughs> fairness, everyone gets their sleep at some stage. But I do think it is yeah. uh, the online community can be very, very supportive to new mothers, even if it's mm-hmm. not educational, just to have a supportive ear to say, oh, my God, I was in the same place you were, had a rough night. Somebody that's empathetic to what you're going through at the same time. And even just, I was cognizant of sharing, you know, just being open about the fact that my baby did not start sleeping through the night at six months, all of a sudden for 12, 13 hours, you know, just being open around the reality and differences from that uh, expectancy that we often have created and that is materialized through marketing and, and, and different, different reasons. And there's context missing in every motherhood scenario. You know, you have to look at the, the whole picture. And when you don't have that and you're looking at someone online with this baby who's sleeping perfectly, feeding perfectly, and the mom is bouncing back and traveling straight away after a C-section, it can be very, very isolating. So you need to open up what you're following and consuming so that, as you say, Katie, at two o'clock in the morning, you do not feel so alone that you have another mother to reach out to, a friend to text to say, I'm struggling. It's 3 a.m. I'm absolutely knackered. And I just want to let you know that you're not alone. And to do that as an influencer was very important for me to share a little bit of, without exposing too much, because I have boundaries around what I share with River, but the actual pregnancy slash postpartum stage, I think needs to be talked about and um, the reality needs to be shown more and more because it can only benefit us. I wanted to sort of digress a little bit, but sort of stay on the, on the same theme before before we move on. Um, myself and Katie, prior to the interview with you, were chatting about the microbiome and probiotics and the benefits of probiotics. And I remember we had a conversation, myself and yourself, off air on that topic. And something that um, someone said to you around the time that uh, River was delivered that sort of stayed with you for a while. And the reason I'm bringing that up is I want to highlight how the language that healthcare providers use in communicating information to mums that 
are in a very vulnerable state shortly after delivery can have a long lasting impact on things. And I'll give you a sort of self-reflection story briefly that I, I, I was I was a part of um, to kind of highlight that issue. When I was training to, to become a pediatrician, I was working on the cardiology ward in Crumlin, so the heart center. And part of our job was to assess to see whether babies were going into heart failure or not. And one of the signs of heart failure that we look for was an enlarged liver. So we can literally feel the liver extending lower down into the tummy um, as a sign of heart failure. And a good sign for us is that if we cannot feel the liver, so if we can't feel the liver, that's a good sign. But if we can feel the liver, it means that it's becoming too big and easy to feel. And I remember popping into a baby that was only about two or three days old, and I was asked to assess the baby for heart failure, and the mother was there, and I was feeling the baby's tummy away, and I said, great, I can't feel the liver, and I walked out. And um, I came back 10 minutes later, and the mother was in floods of tears, and the nurse was um, comforting her. And I was like, what's going on? I gave you good news. And she said, you said the, my baby does not have a liver. I said, what do you mean? She said, you said you can't feel a liver and you walked out. You didn't even tell me why you said that. And, you know, something that we may say flippantly can have a huge, long lasting negative impact on parents if we're not careful. And that really made me reflect about, you know, the choice of words that I might have to use when I'm relaying information or trying to see it from the other side as what, you know, I may say something that makes sense to me, but it might make sense to somebody in a very vulnerable situation. So you've had a similar experience as well, didn't you? Yeah, I can think of two that come to mind that might help people listening because they vary a little bit. The first is in the more immediate shock value of being in the hospital, vulnerable and hearing a certain phrase and totally panicking as a result of it. And the second is more of a long lasting one that you speak of. So the first was a really simple and there's no malice in either of these scenarios from the healthcare professional. However, they stayed with me. So I'm going to definitely pronounce this wrong. Uh, I'm going to say the short one because that's what I remember. But the transbilly test, the transcutaneous bilirubin, whatever it is for jaundice. So I had read up a little bit. Sorry. Yes. Oh, I was just going to say just to our listeners, that's um, a little machine that we put on the baby's skin and it gives us a level of jaundice. It's painless, it's quick, and it's, you know, something that we can use to quickly see how high the jaundice is in a baby's blood. Yeah. So transbilly, that's what I'll say, because I yeah. think it's it's quite a mouthful when you say the full the full test. And the only reason I remember transbilly is I, I have a friend who's a midwife and I had kind of talked to her really heavily about the breastfeeding side of things and my huge, huge desire to do it and to be armed with as much info as I could with what I might be greeted with in the hospital. And she had mentioned this transbilly test and we were discussing just generally that most babies, now I am not a medical professional, so this is my take on it. Most babies are some level of jaundice when they're born and then that test is done to determine if it's a little bit more on the dangerous side, etc. But a comment that somebody made in the hospital was he's going to be as orange as that poster on the wall there if um, you don't feed him more. <laughs> So I was waiting for my milk to come in on day four, which it did, thank God. And I've had a very successful breastfeeding journey since then. But she literally pointed at a poster on the wall that was almost brick red. And the implication with that, he would be so jaundiced by tomorrow that I really needed to kind of step up my game on the cluster feeds. She didn't mean anything by that, but obviously it was explaining to me how important it was to continue those cluster feeds so that 
my baby wasn't too jaundiced and we didn't need to look at alternative feeding methods. Now, thankfully, we did the transmitting test and he was fine. He just happened to be a pretty sallow kind of <laughs> sallow looking baby in the first few days. So that was just an instant shock value of, oh, my goodness, I'm doing this all wrong. I'm terrified my baby is going to be ill type sentence. And the other experience, which is what myself and yourself were discussing the other day, Afif, was really much more gentle in the kind of postpartum phase. And it was in relation to River experienced quite chronic constipation around the six month mark, five, six month mark. And it was due to a number of different things and we were able to resolve it thankfully. But during that constipation, uh, digestive issue stage when we were looking into things one of the sentences that was um, mentioned was questioning around feeding and whether I had ever had celiac and there was nothing in the background or anything like that but it was um, you know breastfeeding can only help so much it wanes after a certain amount of time in terms of the efficacy for the likes of immunity and the microbiome but what's really important is a normal delivery did you have a normal delivery and immediately what that said to me was C-section was abnormal. And a C-section is not abnormal. It is an alternative method of getting a baby into this world safely. But by intimating that a vaginal birth was normal, I suppose I went home and I worried for a long time that had I those lovely vaginal bacterias and germs to give my baby, I would have done that in a heartbeat. But it wasn't, you know, able to be an option for me. And it's just about being so careful and cognizant of words like normal, because it implicates that the alternative or the opposite is abnormal. Yeah. And I mean, just to, just to say that that information is not actually correct. We talk about it at length um, before our um, interview with you. So pe- people will probably already be aware, aware of that. It's such a lovely account of, um, you know, knowing how to, or being a bit more careful about the language that we use as healthcare providers. So food for thought for anybody who's in that um, field listening. I want to move on. And, you know, River is now nearly two years of age and you've described such an illustrious career that you had prior to that. Has that changed now um, with with a toddler? Uh, yes, a resounding yes, 100% yes. <laughs> um I, I don't think I prepared myself for how much it would change, but also a lot of that was choice. So on our side, with our unique scenario of being quite far from family, um, which is something that we've been able to, to, you know, to work around and create a community here. And we have family stay every few weeks and, you know, we're not by any means in a really terrible scenario where we don't have help. But we decided not to use childcare and that I would have River at home with me full time until such time that he starts Montessori at say two and a half um, ish age. And that decision was very much a choice that I felt strongly about, but also that I was able to choose, which I know not other mothers are able to do. It was with the unique nature of my work and the fact that I can digitally work wherever my phone is for the most part. So that means that it was a decision to work in the mornings or during his nap and the evenings to do what I could in my in my space and in my career. But that does not allow for the magnitude of work that I would have taken on before because it's just not possible. So there was a bit of ego debt there. I just had to put a lot of the career uh, desires and things aside and know that this is what I want for the younger part of my son's life. I don't get this time back. I have a luxury in that I can do both, but just letting one go a little bit more into the background and bringing being a mother to the forefront. 
And tell me, since you've had River, do you find that you've kind of brought, you've got more strengths that you bring to, I suppose, bring to your work life? Like have ha, change, having River has obviously changed you. And I know it's changed your focus and that your career has probably, some people would say nosedive. I think it's excelled in many ways. Tell me, like, have you found new strengths that you've brought to your work life um, and kind of family life balance? Yeah. So I think I spoke a little bit about it when you have a baby and how much your life changes and your mindset changes. And I said that things that used to matter or take up your headspace fall to the side because you have something of such utter importance. So for starters, I would be a lot more picky and choosy around the work that I do take on because it is perhaps at the sacrifice of time with my son. So therefore it has to be something I'm very passionate about or a brand I really want to work with or something that is aligning with the future of my career and where I see it when he's older. So I am more decisive uh, because you have to be a little bit quicker in terms of your decisions and what it means for your family in a wider uh, space as opposed to just me. So it's it's less about my universe and where that job is taking me and more about where the whole thing is taking my family that would also encompass certain things I would have done in the past, which which I have no shame over, but the likes of modeling in my underwear was fine at the time when I was younger and in that sphere. But now I would say no to that because I have a son and I feel differently around that phase in my life. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. If somebody wants to be a mum and model in their underwear, that's amazing. But it has changed my boundaries around what I'm choosing to do. I also think I have three C's that I talk about in a WhatsApp group with the girls that are kind of new mums. And the three C's whenever something arises or someone's kind of facing a difficulty, but it's compassion, communication, and care. And they're three of the things that every new mum should take with them into their working life, into their personal life, into just their new being and it's compassion for yourself you know we hear a lot and you speak of mom guilt and I believe it is very much there and prevalent in our society and it is almost a marketed um a marketed body because we are we are made to feel guilty around choosing certain things for ourselves as well as being a mom and you know you can never get it right if you're a full-time mom sure you've let let, let yourself go and you've let your career go to the sideline and then if you work too much you're never at home with the kids and you you can't quite get that balance right but compassion for self so maybe it's not mom guilt maybe it's mom sadness yes we want to do it all but we shouldn't feel guilty about it because there's no ill intent in our decisions it's for the wider family so just compassion for that decision and to allow the sadness instead of the guilt Uh, communication whether it's your partner your family or your friends to reach out when you need them and to explain that you're going through a little bit of an identity crisis which is so normal or you're struggling to juggle the likes of work and family life and care just whether it's self-care I'm not talking about nails and hair I'm talking about actual fundamental care for yourself because if you don't look after yourself you're not able to look after anyone else in your family and you really are the backbone of that um you know, that unit. And it's so important to just remember those things. You come across as quite a calm person, just listening to your intro when you tell about all the things that you've done in the past and everything else. Do you think you've changed or your personality, like your, not your personality, but that you've taken, since you've taken a step back from uh, the fast paced kind of career businesswoman and you're kind of integrating more motherhood into it, do you think you're, you've taken a more calm approach or is that just you by nature? 
I don't think it's me by nature at all. I think that that has come with motherhood. And ironically, it's the most erratic, neurotic phase of your life to try and juggle it all. But I think a calmness comes with it in a, in a weird sense. There's this um, double-ended sword. And I've spoken about it before online where we, you know, smell the back of our baby's neck and it is all of our dreams come true at once. And in the other sense, we are flailing, losing part of ourselves that we can never get back and trying to swim towards her all the time. And it is that loss of identity that can often be so crippling that brings a really strange serenity. You kind of just embrace it. It's all a bit mad. It's all a bit wild. You have a toddler asking for a million things while you're trying to get a simple phone call done or that moment at the sink where you're trying to wash dishes and your little baby is just tugging, 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 mama, 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 relentlessly at your leg for milk. And you just want to scream and can't, and you kind of laugh a little bit to yourself and say, this is life. This is what I want. My wife used to call that momming because, um, you know, when my, when my kids were young, they literally would just every, every second breath is mama, mama. <laughs> Mama, mm-hmm. and sometimes mm-hmm. she would turn around and say, "What?" And they'd look at her, saying, "Why are you talking to me?" And like, you were calling me. Yeah. Was like, was I? You know, <laughs> so it almost becomes a reflex. It's never a dada dada dada. It's always it's always never. mama. It's I always know. called mom. And 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 by the way, I have bad news for you. My my daughter's now fifteen. It doesn't tend to stop. It keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but it's there's there's that kind of um, consistent background noise that's so new. You know, you had a you didn't realize how quiet your house was before children, and that's a beautiful thing as well because the noise is their existence and their very existence is everything that you had wanted. However, you take for granted having an adult conversation with no interruptions. The amount of times myself and Adam now go to talk about something or a podcast or something we read, and we say, "I just it doesn't matter. I'll talk to you later." I was going to say the funny thing is that when it's not there you find it so quiet that you nearly miss it. Deafening. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the double-ended sword that I talk of. That is just a constant. Um, You know, you, I I haven't had a night away from River yet. We have had, I've had a few hours, but I have never done a night away. And that's just to do, it's just the way it's happened. All of a sudden he's 18 months and I, you know, have never had a night away from him, but I can't imagine it in the same breath. Sometimes I think how glorious it would be to have just us in hotel or whatever. And then I think, but, how, how could I deal with the, you know, I sit at home and it's the same. It's, you become such a cliche. I'm a walking cliche now. I'm in front of the TV at night after putting them down and you just take that massive breath of the day is done. Thank Christ. And then you open your phone, you look at pictures from the day with your baby. You know, it is just madness. It's lunacy, the whole thing. And it's, it's beautiful all at once. But in short, uh, in, in answer to your first question, Katie, I wasn't always this calm. I think I fretted a lot about certain things. I was a big worrier. I really worried about uh, the perception of me in terms of my work. Success was really important to me. Um, I wore busy like a badge of honor. That was what my identity was. I, I had to be busy. I had to be successful. I had to be doing X, Y, and Z all the time to feel validated, loved, whatever. A little bit of therapy has helped with that alongside motherhood. But I think I've just let a lot of that go. Do you feel like your perception of success has changed? Yes, 100%. And that's where those three C's come in, compassion and empathy for other women. Because all of a sudden I would have looked at certain people's lives um, and I hate this phrase, just a mum or stay-at-home mum as if we are just this entity and nothing else. Of course, we embody so many different things, whether we're working or not. We are multifaceted beings. We love 
we have passions for things and interests and that doesn't go away when we become a mother but I have become so compassionate for mums who perhaps let their career go as a sacrifice it's not you know a laziness or a lack of desire or passion to continue things for themselves it's a sacrifice and it's a sacrifice for their family and for their children I think it should be admired and I think that the empathy that comes that should come with being a mum is for other women and their very unique scenarios and just saying we're all just trying to do our best and we are all struggling in whatever capacity or dynamic that is because everyone's is so unique. Yeah, I mean, it's been a really kind of riveting conversation that we've had with you. You bring up so many interesting points and your outlook on life is very commendable and I think a lot of people would benefit from from taking that point of view. Before we finish, River seems like such a character, um, you know, on on your Instagram page. Has he ever done anything to sort of hang you out to dry? He's 18 months, so um, I'd say he's done a few things in the past, has he? <laughs> he hasn't told any tales of me yet, but he's doing some very funny, um, funny little quirks. Like he really is coming into his own person now. I mean, I love seeing the different traits that we suddenly look at each other, myself and Adam, and think, where did he get that from? That's not my face. That's not my tone. And at the moment, the funniest, um, I don't know where he's got it from. I know where he gets the phrase from, but whenever we come downstairs in the morning, we say, hello, darling, to our dog. And our dog is called Storm. And for a while, he couldn't say Storm. He still can't say the S pronunciation. So he says Dorm or Good Girl. So he calls her Good Girl. And now he says, hello, darling, (laughs) in this extremely clear English accent. Not sure where it's from, but hello, darling. And we recently got chickens and uh, I caught him the other day. We were, well, I was with him when I say I caught him. He didn't just get into the, the chickens by himself over the big six foot fence, but we were in with the chickens and he just all of a sudden picked one of them up and started walking away. And I've never taught him or shown him how to pick a chicken up, but he kind of just figured it out and off they went. Well, listen, it's been amazing, amazing chatting to you. And and you spoke about not having a night to yourself yet. Well, the next time you have a free night, consider visiting Dublin because Eden One, Ireland's leading luxury spa destination, has kindly gifted you one of their signature packages and are delighted to treat you to an intimate day spa escape whenever you have the time to come up and visit us. You're originally from Dublin, aren't you, Joanne? This is just for you. Oh, yes, stop. Just for you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. I was listening. I was like, this is a lovely interlude now. This is a really nice way to bring an ad into the podcast. Yeah. Some lucky winner. That's fab. Yeah, no, that's for you. That's, that's very, very that's kind. For you. Wow. That's, um, it's, it's, it's a present for you, um, courtesy of Eden One. Wow, fantastic. Well, I tell you, um, Adam has the marathon in October and we're down in Dublin, so we might use it then. That's well, really, really kind. Thank you very you much. No Fabulous. Problem. And listen, Joanne, thank you so much for coming on the Baby Tribe podcast. We really enjoyed chatting to you and we appreciate the time you have given us. Absolutely. Thanks. Really appreciate you having me on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Baby Tribe podcast. We hope you found inspiration and valuable insights to help you on your parenting journey. Remember, you're doing an amazing job. Thanks for being part of the Baby Tribe community. See you next week.